Hello, it's Anthony Chadwick from the Webinar Vets, welcoming you to another episode of Vet Chat, the UK's number one veterinary podcast. Very fortunate today to have Maria Muntz, who's agreed to come and chat to me, and we're going to be talking about anatomy and surgery and diagnostic imaging and all sorts of exciting things. I'm going to let Maria introduce herself properly, but Maria's a, a vet who uh, actually qualified in Portugal first, then practiced in Portugal, but it has been all over the world, not only practicing as a vet, but also working in the universities and bringing a wide clinical element to anatomy that perhaps, you know, I certainly didn't have when I, when I qualified 30 odd years ago. So Maria, perhaps give us a little intro so that the listeners know where you, where you're coming from, so to speak, and then we can dive right into, uh, I'm sure some really interesting chats. Thank you, Anthony. It's uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me for this chat. Um, so I was I was studying in Portugal. Uh, just like you, I didn't have any um, clinical anatomy or applied anatomy as a subject. Uh, my anatomy was just uh, usual systematic anatomies and uh, rather boring subject. I never had a passion for an anatomy of <laughs> as many many of the students. Uh, I'm I'm afraid. And uh, so I then uh, practiced in, started practicing in Porto. Meanwhile, I started, um, I got a job in, at the university in Porto right after it, uh, the, the degree began there in Porto. So it's uh, ICBUS, it's a biomedical sciences uh, university uh, or faculty. Then in 2011, so about uh, 10, 11 years later, I moved to Sydney. Um, I was teaching there for about two years and a half, finished my PhD uh, in Sydney, and I was teaching there two and a half years with a group, uh, the anatomy group in, uh, at UCID. Meanwhile, we moved to uh, the US, um, close to Philadelphia, so I was able to teach at UPenn with Paul Orsini um, for some time, and um, I'm now living in Germany. I'm not teaching here. I'm glad I have your company to work with. I'm very happy to continue my um, anatomy teaching uh, now on an online version. Um, but yes, it's it's always a pleasure to to keep uh, providing and helping people with anatomical knowledge and uh, supporting all the vets out there. And I think that's where you know one of the points you made is really important when we um, go to vet school. Um, Obviously, every course is different, but I would imagine most courses do start with anatomy close to the beginning. So for the first year, two years, um, I learned anatomy and sometimes it wasn't really connected to those live cases. So you were learning it, of course, and you were learning where all the veins were and where all the muscles went to and where all the um, nerves connected to. But we weren't always able to apply that to a medical condition. I mean, we were very fortunate back in the day that we would have small classes. We obviously did some cadaver work. So we would be leaning over, you know, perhaps with a couple of friends looking at what was going on in there. So we got the three dimensional element, but nevertheless, it was still um, a subject that you understood there was a relevance, but the relevance wasn't coming at that part of the course. So 
I, I presume that's similar experience for you when you were um, when you were learning. And I think this is where it's so important that we do move on. And I know we have a lot of Wikivet listeners who are students listening. So it'd be really interesting to hear how the model developed in Porto and then was exported to Sydney and, and obviously to UPenn as well. So uh, this idea with the applied anatomy as, as a subject itself, um, we call it clinical anatomy, but it's, it's applied anatomy, um, stems from the um, human, uh, human uh, um, medicine degree. So this uh, degree was already running in the institute where I was uh, lecturing um, starting in the year 2000. And um, they already had this clinical anatomy. So they did, what they did is they had, uh, for human medicine, they had the, the normal anatomies, let's call them like that. It's a systematic anatomy. And after those two um, subjects, they would start with, uh, with a third subject, which was clinical anatomy. And they always thought, and most of it was taught by specialists, but mainly by a surgeon. Uh, and they always thought that this was made a big difference between uh, the vet schools in, in Portugal because the difference between Porto and Lisbon and other human medicine uh, courses were, was quite uh, significant with, um, with the preparation of the student for, for later on, for their future career. And so they brought this over to uh, the vet degree when the vet degree started in 92 in the same institute. They brought this idea over to, to teach the systematic anatomies and then bring this uh, clinical anatomy. So it does not exist and it still does not exist in other vet schools in Portugal. And now I'm talking about uh, vet medicine. And honestly, I don't know other, um, other um, universities out there in Europe or other countries that they really call it a, a clinical anatomy. What some of them do is that like, like Sydney, for instance, did was after they do the systematic anatomies, they had a, a full dissection of a horse, for instance, and they go by sections. So they go by regions, they start with a head and they go full, full, um, full way from, from surface and they go layer by layer. Uh, it's called topographical anatomy. And they talk about the relationship between the the, um, the structures all the way uh, to the deepest structures, but still not so much looking into the applied uh, applied benefit of getting the anatomy, but more looking into the relationships between them. Mm. Um, yeah, so I try to I, I try to bring that into UCIP, this applied uh, part of, of anatomy, and uh, at UPenn. The system was just too eclectic, and it's just that so much information that they get in such a short time. It's uh, it's it's crazy. <laughs> it <laughs> is such a huge subject, systems. isn't it? You know, we're not only learning anatomy of dogs, but also cats, horses, cattle, sheep, yeah. pigs. Exactly. And actually, trying to remember all of that is terribly difficult. Whereas, actually, when you're operating on for a hysterectomy, or whether you're operating to do a cystotomy or whatever there there are certain things that we need to know that actually allow us to do those operations so the two things you know we learn anatomy partly to do surgery don't we that's that's the reason we learn it or, or many of us do i know not everybody does a lot of surgery but 
we are veterinary surgeons, you know, that's what we're classed as in the UK. So how do you see um, sort of an academic, if you like, anatomist who perhaps isn't doing surgery, can, can those two groups come together and work collaboratively well together? Is it important yes. to have both of them, you know, within a group at a university? That is, that is the thing exactly. So the point is that I believe the main problem at universities uh, and that anatomy becomes a monster is because, uh, in fact, these, these academics, so the people who are teaching these, um, these subjects, so they, they don't have a background of being practitioners themselves. So they focus on their, on their knowledge and giving this uh, information over to the students without really giving them um, a purpose, just for them to understand why this, in fact, will be important for their future. And this is what I find uh, is lacking on most universities, that, that some of these people realize that there has to be some, some interconnection between anatomy and surgery, anatomy and uh, diagnostic imaging and or imagiology as a, as a subject. Uh, and actually, I did have that in, in Sydney. I had a very um, engaged uh, surgeon, uh, Chris Ten was his name, in, in, at the University of Sydney. And he was coming over to my classes to relearn anatomy from me and uh, so that he would get better with his own uh, knowledge and his surgeries. So there should be and there could be some sort of interconnection between uh, anatomy and surgery or anatomy and uh, imagiology. But as you've said, you know, across the world, we're not necessarily getting that, that anatomy is still being taught very academically rather than, you know, as a mixture between obviously academically, but also in an applied or a clinical sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, it's still, it's still very academic. It's, uh, it's, it becomes a, a rather boring um, subject if you, if you just go on, on all the little details uh, because you do not need all the details. I mean, anatomy can be a monster, but you can make it as light and as interesting as you want. I mean, we tried uh, back in, in those days in Porto already, even with the systematic anatomies after teaching uh, bones, we would, we would right away show them some x-rays so they would understand how it looks how the normal bone looks like, yeah. how it articulates with, with the other bones, how this image, rather than a three-dimensional, what you see in the cadaver or with the, the bone itself, how it looks in the, in the x-ray with a two-dimension um, imaging, and then recognizing right away, um, I don't, we would show them some pathologies, we would say them fractures, we would show them arthritis, we would show them some simple examples of abnormal situations so that they would have this hmm. this power to 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 have the, the the ability to recognize the abnormal right away so they they would they would be happy to uh, be able to to do that by themselves understanding normal radiographs is really important isn't it because if we know absolutely what the normal is when we see something that doesn't quite look right you know we'll know that yeah. oh that shadow there you know isn't just a normal shadow it is something that we should be concerned about and i i think we certainly got this at liverpool university but it was then in year four and year five which is then you know, two years after you finished your anatomy. And of course, you've begun to forget some of that anatomy. So 
bringing them all together, you know, would be better. Obviously, I don't know exactly how they teach the subjects at my old university. It's a long time since I've went. But obviously, if, if some of the students are listening to this from, you know, any of the universities, because with our Wikivet uh, website, we get a lot of students coming to Wikivet and then obviously to WebinarVet, it would be great to get an insight. And maybe there's a survey, maybe we, Maria, we should set up a little survey at the end of this podcast, which people can look at underneath and can answer if they are students and let us know what the situation is like in their, in their universities and whether some of these ideas are catching on because we also have some newer universities like Uclan just up the road in Preston now. Um, Keel Harper Adams has opened just the last couple of years. I think there's one up opening in Aberystwyth. So we are opening up new vet schools now at, at quite a rate. And I think when I was at university, there were about five or six. There's now mm -hmm. probably closer to 10. So wow. the, the numbers have grown rapidly over the last 10 years. Uh, so it will be interesting to see if the newer schools are teaching in a different way or if indeed the older schools are applying different models or that they've stayed very strictly to the sort of model that I experienced when I was from at Liverpool. From my experience, I would say that the older universities have stayed with, with, uh, with their old methods and their old ways. And uh, our university in Porto was a, a newer one. So yes. it was in 92, as I said, that they started with a degree. And I believe this is the reason why um, it was also uh, something, something more innovative that uh, somebody somebody brought up with this mm. um, clinical anatomy, and there was more interaction between um, the practitioners because there was the hospital and the and the institute itself, and we were always uh, in touch with each other. Yeah, I must say, um, <clears throat> I was really disappointed. We had our thirtieth year reunion two years late. Um, in September, and it clashed with the Dermatology Congress, which was happening mm -hmm. in Porto last September. Oh. So I missed Porto. I did go in the 80s. And um, one of my passions, one of my things that I enjoy doing is drinking the Porto wine. So <laughs> I had a very enjoyable few days in Porto. And, and uh, <laughs> I loved the city with the, the boats and the uh, the names of the different port houses on the, the boats sails. It yeah. is a Fantastic city. The other I think I really love about Porto is we always beat you in the football. I'm a Liverpool supporter, so uh, <laughs> they're my memories of Porto, but I would love to go back at some point. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping that will happen sooner rather than later. Oh, Porto has changed so much since the 80s. It's, it's a complete different city nowadays. Yeah. It's, uh, but of course, much more tourism and uh, many more immigrants. It's a it's, uh, Completely different place. I went, I went at a good time when the, the port houses still allowed us to go in and, and taste their words for free, I think. <laughs> yes, I, I'm afraid I'm not a, a port wine fan, so I cannot, I cannot say if, uh, if things have changed in, in, the, <laughs> in the wine cellars. I yeah. do know that there's, a, there's, meanwhile, beautiful museums there, uh, which did not exist at the time in yeah. the 80s, for sure. Um, um, yeah. Portals. It's a very similar setup to Liverpool in that we have a river flowing through the city. So the River Douro and the River Mersey. Mm -hmm. On the left bank is Liverpool. On the left bank, I think, is Porto. On the right bank is Via Nova de Gaia or Birkenhead. 
So there's lots of similarities between <laughs> the two cities. <laughs> and grey days as well. Yeah, grey weather. Cloudy. And, and, but good football teams. I guess, yes. <laughs> Did you know the Webinar Vet has a public community Facebook group? We want to ensure veterinary professionals have a place to stay in the loop with everything that's happening here at the Webinar Vets. In this public group, you can chat and network with other veterinary professionals from across the globe, get exclusive updates, content recommendations, and so much more. Pop and say hello to a community of over 2,000 veterinary professionals by searching the Webinar Vet community on Facebook. It's interesting going back to surgery and again, you know, the old fashioned way when I left vet school and I was trying to teach myself surgery for something like a perineal hernia, I would use a book and then it was very difficult to get the, the way that the nerves and the muscles and the veins were sort of coming together, what was behind, what was in front. Because of course, in a two dimensional book, uh, you can't get that sort of 3D perspective. Exactly. And actually, this was where we did something very interesting a few years ago, where we developed uh, a partnership with Microsoft with their mixed reality headset called the HoloLens and developed a, a lovely dog called, uh, a German Shepherd dog called Sheba and, mm -hmm. and started to try and develop that in, in conjunction with a couple of the universities. Uh, unfortunately, we never got the funding to take it further, but... Whenever I'm stopped at, um, at conferences, people often say, what's happening with the 3D um, model that you created? Because it was really exciting. And I think, is that perhaps another way, with given the difficulties of the bigger vet schools now, bigger sizes, you know, being able to get hold of cadavers and so on? Do you see 3D yeah. models helping in whatever forms they take? Yes, definitely. Um, this was one... Um... One difficulty we'd had with uh, with teaching is uh, when we would teach organs, for instance, we would have a hard time describing, explaining things because you, you need so many images to to explain how how they're um, how they're flat, how they're uh, how the dorsal part of it connects to the to the liver, the ventral part of it connects to the the junum, and and all of these relationships. They're so difficult to to um, to transmit when and then when the students themselves have uh, difficulties with three dimensionality themselves, then it becomes it becomes the horror. Uh, so it definitely, these this technology has helped in sense of um, helping them understand relationships between organs and and how each of these layers are um, somehow built into each other. Um, that's important for surgery and definitely perineal hernias are a nightmare for most surgeons. Uh, I was called for several of those because people are uncomfortable about, about going, going in. They were afraid of the nerves. They were afraid of the mm. pudendal vessels, pudendal nerve. They were, they were afraid of, of the muscles themselves. What is the obturator internal or, or any, yeah. any muscle in there and how would you flap it in and how would you move it? It's, it's just crazy. So I, I still keep doing those here um, because people are uncomfortable about, about, about going in and, and making sure that they do not damage something by mistake. And it's just, of course, with the perennial earlier things are out of place. And so you don't see the normal anatomy. Mm. You see something 
out of the ordinary. So if not, if you're not used to seeing the normal, then out of a sudden you go in, you see something abnormal, and you're like, where am I? I'm lost. The book is not helping because it's showing me something normal, and I, I cannot I cannot continue. So um, definitely um, 3D helps, and uh, but cadavers are uh, in the end um, uh, the best tool. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to go and see it and, and see it live to see to see how how it really works. And this is what most surgeons do uh, when they when they they have the cadavers that they um, that they have in stock or whatever. Um, they they just open up and they they learn by themselves by mm. by either with three Ds or with books side by side and they just go in and and learn by dissecting the, the cadaver. Possibly the new, dissecting is still the best tool. Possibly the newer students being more digitally orientated and you know used to maybe gaming and things um, you know <laughs> on their computers that three D. Um, is, is even easier still, isn't it? Because whether it was a book or a, a blackboard, to learn that and to see the different layers was, it was really difficult. Whereas I think if we can learn in 3D, that is gonna quicken up our processes of, of picking yeah. up things. Because if we can, obviously everybody learns in a different way, but you know the, the, the visual memory is a very important part of memory, it's, isn't it? Yeah, the most important one. It's the most important one. The thing is, in, even in, in our uh, students, what they would have, they would have cadavers to, to work on throughout the, the whole semester and their uh, practicals. And by the end of the semester, as they would prepare for the, the exams, we would again uh, offer them more cadavers to work on by themselves. So they would organize themselves in groups. They would come and work in late afternoon and evenings, and they would or weekends even. And they would do it themselves on the on the cadavers to to once again go go through the the whole thing. So this is this is again what what we think is the the best tool. Uh, or else, if you rely on books the whole time and uh, and then out of a sudden you're you're in front of a surgery with a live animal and you're 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 lost. Yeah. You don't you don't know where you go. Urethrostomies um, were also something that I was called for. Um, for cats, uh, this is again microsurgery, and again very difficult. It's minimal layers, and also difficult to perform. And uh, several um, several colleagues of mine were uncomfortable mm. about doing that, and I would I would be called to to perform some. I remember one of my bosses in my early days, Ian Barkley, um, and I would sit in and watch him doing spinal surgery. And he would say, um, I don't know any, why anybody sends me these. They, they are so easy to do. And of course, it's after you've done a few of them, they do become easier. But it is often that initial, um, you know, taking that leap of faith. And we certainly see in the UK, and I don't know if it's a German problem, people being nervous even doing, I won't say basic surgery, because I think doing something like a bitch bay, actually, if you can do a bitch bay, it's a really tough piece of surgery because it challenges you in many ways but actually yeah. it is a standard piece of surgery so somehow we're also having situations certainly in the UK where people are leaving that school and they're not confident doing what is a basic or a routine piece of surgery so how do you think that we can apply some of these models to, to help or how do we build up confidence in 
in surgery is that do you think partly also uh, personality wise because we've got you know these highly um, intelligent students that come in who succeed at everything once they find something that is too difficult for them they actually uh, lose a lot of confidence and therefore won't do it again what what's your thoughts on how can we improve you know that basic surgery which you know is our routine day by day stuff so um I'm again coming back to my applied anatomy uh, practicals in, in, in Porto. So one of the, one of the main um, practicals was abdominal surgery. So they would, um, we would just do the, the normal um, incision in the midline and then expose the organs. And then we would say, let's do a gastrotomy or let's, explore the left kidney or let's do a cystotomy or uh, how would you do that? And this would be part of the exam or the practical exam at the end of the, it was an oral exam. And they would just um, take out the paper. It could be abdominal surgery. It could be looking into x-rays. It could be um, surgical access to the, to the elbow. It could be different topics. They had like 20 different ones. But one of them was abdominal surgery. So either you were lucky or unlucky, but it could come out. I mean, it could be that you're, you have to perform uh, something in the abdomen, uh, a surgery in the abdomen, and, uh, and you would have to go through it. Independently, if you're a good student, if you're a bad student, if you don't like a small animal clinic, if you prefer horses, you would still have to to go through this, or you would fail the whole the whole um, degree, uh, the whole uh, subject. I'm sorry. So it's it's something we would push every single student to do, and this uh, this was the reason why we would facilitate those cadavers that each student was able to do it uh, on his own. Hmm. I think there's no way out. Yeah, this this is right because I think there's not a lot of surgery done. I I know when I was training to be a vet, I certainly had done some bitch space and cat space before I went out into practice, but not a great deal. And actually it, it's, and they were done while I was part of EMS. I think I did maybe one or two in university, which is not enough to really get you to the level. The more of this you do, the better you can. And of course it's finding the right uh, practices for EMS that will let you really get involved. But you also putting yourself into a, a difficult position because it's easy to stand in the corner of the room, but actually you want to be next to the surgeon saying, can I have a go at this? Absolutely. I mean, you could, as a university, you could always, uh, and that I, I try to bring back, um, this clinical anatomy, not only offering it to the students themselves during the degree, but later on as uh, continuing education for vets, Yeah. for the for the, the, the vets which were just starting. And I tried to bring this idea and to, to create some sort of um, um, so a, a course for, for people to come in and just relearn these, these things and practice on cadavers. So, but it, it never took off. And meanwhile, I took off to Sydney. Hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was one of my ideas was to to offer it to the public, also to the to the vets already practicing, that they would relearn anatomy and and look it through again. 
Because, of course, you, you look at it when you're in, in second degree, you're about 19, 20 years old, and then, and then five years later or six years later, you then uh, faced to your first surgery and, and trying to, to perform it on your own. And then you're scared because you've forgotten things. Yeah. And um, yeah, and then this was my idea. Just bring it back, bring those, those guys back into, into the university, offer it to the, to the uh, practitioners mm. and, and that they relearn again. Yeah. You forget so much all the time. Of course, even when you're, even when you're in your 20s. <laughs> yes, you forget everything. And after the, the degree, you always think, oh, my God, what have I done here? I haven't learned much in this, in this university. You feel like you have nothing. Yes. You actually have much of the knowledge in there. I still, meanwhile, I mean, I'm still working. And nowadays, I'm still like, oh, I remember this from, from university. Yes. And you think you've lost all of this information. But there's still some things which, yeah. which stuck there that you, you do not acknowledge at the time, but they... But, there's still some knowledge up there. But I think most things get stuck. It's actually the retrieval, which is the difficult process, isn't it? Most stuff is actually somewhere in the brain. It is a case of yep. how easy is it to retrieve it again? It's just when you need it, then, yes. the, then there's some ideas coming. Oh, I did hear, hear about this sometime yeah. in, in third year or so. But um, yeah, it's... Some, some pieces of information are there, but if you're scared to do it, yeah, why not just practice on cadavers and then yeah. feel comfortable to, to do it on a live animal where you have a lot of responsibility. Maria, muito obrigado. Danke schön. De nada. It's been a great podcast. Just to look at how we can do these things differently. So it'd be really interesting for those of you listening, perhaps who are just out of university or still in university, do let us know what your experiences are and how you've been getting towards anatomy as well. But uh, it's been a really interesting time with you, Maria, learning how you do things. And I think it's a great way of um, improving surgeons if they know exactly where they're going and what those, what those bones and everything are all about. Uh, if you if you're comfortable with anatomy, you will feel comfortable about surgery and and diagnosing uh, images. And uh, it's just it's just uh, the way you look at things is oh this looks odd, and you immediately recognize something is wrong. So anatomy is really your friend. <laughs> thanks again, Maria. Take care, and thanks everyone for listening. This has been Anthony Chadwick from the Webinar Vet with another episode of Vet Chat. Take care, bye-bye. Thank you.